Welcome back to The Peripheral. On today's episode, we're talking about some pretty dark subjects. Stalkers, rape. The two women that I interviewed were very brave. While I was interviewing them, I was so focused on making them feel comfortable with telling their stories that I didn't quite grasp the horrifying situations that they were in. While I was re-listening and editing their stories, I was appalled and heartbroken by the sheer terror that they must have felt. I was disgusted by some of the actions of others and their stories. And I also shared a personal story of my own with both of them. It's the same story, but they had different takes on it and it came out in different ways. So... This is Molly, and I'm just going to let her start the story and tell you what happens. Like, I don't even know where to start because I've never really even talked about this with anybody. I feel like it's really hard to meet other people who have the same kind of thing happen to them. I mean, I know it's really common, but I think that people don't ever discuss it because it's super it sounds unbelievable like this like the stuff that happens what makes it even more unbelievable for me is just hearing about typically 99 percent of the time the man's behavior in the situation i just i don't even know how people can justify their behavior or their actions in their own mind so uh how old were you and or when did this all start okay so what happened was me and my current boyfriend, we've been together for four years, but we did break up at one time. And he was my first boyfriend. So after this breakup, I was just trying to, like, I guess, boost my confidence. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, but I, I basically I met a guy on Tinder. And I went on a date with him. So a rebound, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, but like the worst ever because I hated him so much <laughs> from the beginning. I hated this guy. He took me to a restaurant and he went to the bathroom at one point. And I remember the waiter coming over and I apologized because it was about to close or whatever. And he's like, no, take your time. And I was like, no, please, please kick us out. <laughs> like, it was just I hated this guy. So he, it's, it's hard for me to even like, yeah. we ended up going to his house okay. and I wasn't comfortable, but I said yes, because I guess I was too uncomfortable to say no. I don't know. I, my parents knew where I was. I should disclose my age. I am 23 now. I was 21 at the time. And, but I, you know, I live at home. Mm -hmm. So my parents not like strict or crazy or anything like that, but they were just like, where are you going? Who is he? They met him. My dad even shook his hand. Um, but we go to his house and I was date raped and it was, I mean, obviously like basically the worst experience of my entire life. Um, 
did he give you any drugs or anything to no 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 i didn't drink anything i wasn't given anything literally forced himself on me okay i mean not that that gives any sort of excuse or anything i just didn't know no i don't mind yeah some guys will you know slip the the whatever in the drink and really but this was you were completely sober and clear-minded and he just overpowered you yeah, he we kissed and I was okay with that, but I mean, I wasn't I didn't like him. And I guess you could say he's an attractive person physically, but because of how much I did not like his personality, I was not into it at all. And also, I just really like I was just so sad about my ex-boyfriend and I wasn't into it. So we kissed and it was like okay for a few minutes, but you know, stop. But he didn't. And I mean, he didn't, it's not like I came home and I was covered in wounds or anything like that. But I mean, I was held down and it was violent. That's where it started. Did you feel like you couldn't report it or tell your parents or did you? Oh gosh. Well, so what happened was I, he, he dropped me off and that was actually the most scared I think I've ever been. Because I I am like a true crime fan. And I was like, this guy's going to kill me. Because when we were in the car going home, I was like, there's no way he's taking me home. How could he? Because the incident itself, I am very passionate about saying, I mean, a woman doesn't have to scream or cry. I mean, no is no. Yeah. And that's it. But I mean, it was extremely extremely clear that I was saying no because I was crying the whole time I said no I mean I at one point when I realized that I just could not get away from him I mean I was covered my face with my hands and I was just crying and he still I mean just continued there's no question no (laughs) No, miscommunication or misunderstanding to this situation whatsoever no he's just a crazy person and then after it was finished he just held me which was disgusting while I sobbed, but I was just so in shock. I, I, I mean, I can't even describe it, but I was just laying there like, what do I do? Like, so he's holding me, I'm sobbing, taking into the fact, taking in the fact that this just happened to me. And basically after, I don't know how long, he was like, well, I'll take you home. So we got in the car and he like held my hand and I was terrified. I didn't want to, I, I wasn't going to say like, hey, you just raped me because I was afraid. Yeah, because that might escalate the situation again. And... Right. So I the whole time I was like, okay, well, this is it. I'm definitely going to be murdered. But he did end up just taking me home. I also thought I was going to be murdered because he had like met my dad and, you know, like there was no question of his identity. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this guy is insane. But I got home and I just started walking upstairs to my room and my dad actually came. He was in the basement at the time and he came up and he asked me if I was okay. And I I didn't really say anything. I was just crying and he was like, did somebody hurt you? I said yes. And I can't remember exactly everything that happened, but I did which I feel so stupid about now, but I took a shower because I just felt so disgusting. Took a shower, um, didn't go to the hospital. My brother and my sister, I'm very close to them, um, 
I mean, they went to CVS and they got me a Plan B pill. And that was that. Mm-hmm. Then I went to my family doctor. I got some STD tests. <sighs> my One of the, um, I guess, nurses or whatever at this doctor's office. Um, sorry, I'm not a very good storyteller. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I got tested. And for whatever reason, my doctor refused to see me. He was like, there's really nothing I can do. She's going to have to go to a hospital or whatever. Um, which fine, but I still felt like that was really awful because <laughs> he's my family doctor. He's known me since I was a little kid. I feel like the least you could do is come out in person and be like, I'm sorry this happened to you. These are the next steps. Yeah. But a nurse and one of the nurses did end up coming to talk to me and said something like, if anybody is raped by this person, it's your fault. And which is just, I mean, obviously you should never say that to somebody. (sighs) So it was just all around fucked up. I would expect a little bit more compassion from people when you, you would think, but in the same way, I also like, wasn't very surprised because of the kind of, area that I live in. It's a very conservative, I would say mostly upper middle class kind of area. I just think the people are very out of touch. It's very gods, guns, you know, mentality. I feel like it's a really sexist area. So I wasn't like very surprised either. It hurt. Of of course it hurt, but I shouldn't have expected more. Were, were you clear of STDs and everything? I was clear, thankfully. I have no problems, and that was just a blessing because I, I can't imagine. Um, but, yeah, so. Did you report it? Yeah, that's the obvious next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I didn't. I didn't feel – I got home, took a shower, took a plan B pill, went to sleep. The next day I went to the doctor and got an STD test. By the time I got home from the doctor's office the next day, I was like, I have no evidence. I didn't even have bruises. I mean, I couldn't prove that this person had held me down because there was nothing physical on me. Yeah, so it's your word against his now. I feel I've never felt more, I guess, hatred towards myself than this time because I was like, I deserve this. Because I went on a date because I guess I needed an ego boost. Then I did the dumbest thing ever, which was take a shower. And like I said, I'm a true crime buff. Always have been. I love crime shows. I love SVU. is my favorite. And I've heard over and over and over, don't take a shower because they need to be able to take a rape kit. And, of course, it was the first thing I did. Like an idiot. So, But... uh... It doesn't matter. It, it, you know, it's not It's not your fault that this guy victimized you, that this guy raped you. I, I know. And I, I definitely am able to see it now. Yeah. But for a really long time, I mean, it, it, was, it was hard. Yeah. At first, I was like, well, no, I can't report it because I did this. But then, and this is where the stalking comes in. So this would be two days after I was raped. He sends a bouquet of flowers to my house with a card. And, of course, I don't accept it. I think my it was actually my mom 
no. And if this person tries to send anything to the house, we will not accept it. So it's sent back. And then I start getting these texts from him saying how we're so good together and he loves me. We went on one date. I mean, the day I the day this happened was the day that I met him. So he's sending me these text messages saying that he loves me and he can't understand. And how could I do this to him? How could I hurt him so badly? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of like just a ton of these messages. It's so weird how he could be so delusional and yeah, or or just purely manipulative. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he did feel like I was going to feel bad for him, but I didn't. I, decided not to block his number because which I think a lot of people could criticize me for and that's fine but I decided not to block his number because even though I was feeling harassed by his messages the idea of him sending things to me and I can't even see it somehow it caused it I mean just it it made me feel very anxious it gave me a lot of anxiety um, and, and you might have not realized, but you were documenting. His... Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so this goes on, and he's sending me texts and texts. And, and sometimes I would text back to say, like, I don't want to speak to you ever. I don't love you. We don't know each other. Stop it. Pretty much. I never did say to him, you raped me. And maybe I should have. But I just couldn't. I mean, I I don't know why. It may be fear, or I don't know what else. I guess also because of my actions afterwards, I kind of felt like I didn't have the right to say that that happened to me, like that I was raped. And I I can't really explain that, but in in this time, like I was having so much self-hatred, and I blame myself, and... In a really weird, twisted way, I was afraid that I was going to get him in trouble. Not because I cared about him, but because I felt like it was all of my fault. I I know that probably doesn't make any sense at all. Um, And I don't know if I've even ever verbalized that. But I, I was. I was afraid to get this person in trouble, and I was afraid to ruin his life. And I can't. I can't explain it. It doesn't even make sense to myself, but that is what I felt. I think, even though I hated him. I think it only doesn't make sense to people that haven't been raped. But anyone that has, I think it makes absolute sense. Thank you. I, I haven't really, I mean, I haven't had the chance to talk to other people who've had this happen to them. I mean, I know that there are so many women... I think, what's the statistic? Like, one in every four or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I know that there must be people that I know that stuff like this has happened to, but I've never really talked about it with another person who's actually gone through it. So, but back to the stalking. So you're getting these text messages. Did that escalate to anything else? Yes. Okay, so after maybe, I guess it would have been probably a month I mean, this has been a while ago, and this very beginning is actually very... It's hard for me to remember it all because it was such an emotionally... It was just such a bad time. But I started seeing him outside of my house. And I never even really told my 
family members this. I mean, I think I did, but they definitely meant no harm. But they were, they would kind of say, well, like, it's probably not him. But I feel very confident that it was him. And so it was a car parked outside at night. I would see it every other week. It mm-hmm. wasn't every day, but it was definitely happening, you know, pretty consistently. And and this is another thing. Like, I, I think that it's real, but I doubt myself, too, because I don't... You're, I worry you're, if I was so afraid or if I was so paranoid or what that maybe I just thought these things were happening. But, like, I would hear things outside of my window. Because at this time, like, I had my window open. The weather, I think it was fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hear, like, what I felt was somebody walking outside of my house. And I just felt like it was definitely him. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody walking outside my window it happened more than once. I saw a car parked in front of my house. There was this one time where my lights were on. It, it was night. My curtains were not like open, but they were drawn enough that I guess you probably could have seen into my room. And I see the car. I turn off my lights and it drives away. If that, <laughs> I, I feel like that's definitely a sign that that person's looking at me. I mean, I could be a crazy person, but... Which I definitely feel like I sometimes am. But if it was the same car. It was the same car. And as soon as my lights went off, it drove away. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good guess. (laughs) Yeah, I I felt very confident that it was him. I'm not a car person, but I could recognize his car. And I'm pretty positive it was the same car. I mean, this is not happening anymore. And it's hard for me to even pinpoint when exactly it stopped. But this this happened, I mean, it's been almost two years since the actual assault. Mm-hmm. And I would say within just the last four or five, it stopped. I was at a cafe with one of my friends. And I saw him in the parking lot. I pointed it to my, my girlfriend. I was like, that's him. She recognized him too. She had seen his picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely him. He lived like close enough, but he didn't live in the same city I lived in. So Why would he be there? Yeah, no reason. <laughs> yeah, he didn't approach me or anything like that, but he was definitely there. And the so, scary I part mean, is you realize now that he followed you there. Yeah, I feel very confident saying that he did. And he had threatened to come into my jobs. And he had said, like, well, if you're not going to text me back, if you're not going to see me, because he, he he kept on asking me to see him. He was, you know, asking if he could pick me up at night, of course, mm-hmm. so that we could talk. No. And he would say, well, I'm going to come into your work. Well, he did come into the library once. And I had to hide. But I felt like he knew my work schedule because he knew exactly when I was there. So, yeah. And did you tell your coworkers or anyone? Oh, yeah, I had to because so actually pretty much right after the assault, he had already said stuff like, you know, well, I'm going to come and see you at work. Of course, you know, I said, no, don't. The library actually provided me with some counseling Because it's a government job, they have that 
kind of thing for their employees. And so I was able to see a counselor and the counselor did tell me that I did need to dis- that I should disclose to my employers that this is happening because I need a plan on how to deal with it if he does come. So I did have to tell my my coworkers that this person would come in and I had to give a description and say like if he asks for me I'm not there no matter even if I am there. Then again, I don't when he came into the library I saw him. It wasn't like some coworker came over and was like, go in the back or whatever. I saw him and I had to just pray to God he didn't, you know, corner me or anything. And I did manage to get to the back and he did leave. But I had to like point out to my coworkers like, that's the guy. And then they told me when he left. Did any of them confront him or did they just leave him alone? They No, they left him alone. I think there's probably rules especially at the library and like how to deal with that. They probably can't even confront that guy. You know what I mean? I believe he knew I was there because he didn't ask anybody if I was there. So he's showing up at your work. He showed up at the shop or whatever you were at with your friend. Did he show up anywhere else? Other than outside my house? No. But then he did start making a bunch of different social media accounts trying to um, contact me. Well, I use Instagram a lot. I'm a makeup artist. And he made an Instagram and then commented on a ton of my photos. And I was in a counseling session at the time talking about how just traumatized I felt. And my phone starts dinging and dinging and dinging and dinging. And I just broke down because I, look, it's happening right now. I mean, he's doing it right now because he was commenting a bunch of different, just crazy things on my photos. This was very difficult because when he would send me text messages and when he would comment and stuff like that, the thing is, I felt harassed. I felt like I was being threatened, but the language he was using did not seem like that to somebody. Not in the know. Of course, yeah, because what he was saying was, I love you. I want to see you. I miss you. Won't you please see me? Can I? He would say, Can I come to your work? Like, I mean, it was, I, of course, interpreted it in a threatening, scary way. But then when I did try eventually to talk to someone about getting a restraining order, they looked at the, the, the doc, like the documentation, as you said, that I had, and they were, you know, pretty much like, well, no, there's no direct threat to your safety here. There was enough times that he would not text me for a couple of days. I mean, I don't know if that's just him being really smart or what, but or just the laws and stuff are just too stupid to understand what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would need a lot more than I had. So even though I felt genuinely terrorized. Even though you'd been attacked and raped. Yes, yes, yes. That was very difficult too because trying to explain like, I know that this looks like this person is not threatening me, but you have to understand I don't even know this person outside of this incident that was the worst of my life. And he's saying all these things to me, and I begged him to leave me alone. You know, it's just, it's the most frustrating thing. 
You know, because, of course, they're just reading a text message that says, you're the most beautiful woman in the world to me, and I just miss you so much. Yeah, of course, you don't think that's threatening. But to me, it makes me want to throw up. It makes me shake. It makes me, I mean, it's just awful for me. For for him to say anything to you is unwelcome. Yeah, of course. (sighs) So that was really hard. So where did it go from there? Well... Honestly, I guess things just stopped. After a while, he um, would only message me every few weeks. And then from there, you know, it seemed like uh, a month would go by and then all of a sudden I would get something. So it became more infrequent. Mm -hmm. And he would always message me on holidays and stuff like that. He never sent me anything that I could show police and be like, I need, you know, action against this guy. He never said, I'm watching you or anything like that. But I feel strongly that he was. I do strongly believe those times I heard him outside my house. I think that was real. I can't prove it. I can't even prove it to, like, my friends or my family. Not that they think I'm crazy. It's one of those things where... You're, you're terrified, so you're not thinking straight. Whether it be you took a shower, whether it be you didn't text him, you raped me to try to get him to reply to that, or whether it be you didn't take a picture of his car every time it was parked in front of your house. You're in a fight-or-flight state, so you're not thinking, collect the evidence and prove that. That's, that's true. You know. And I did think about that, too, about, like, I should have taken a photo of the car. But then I think about how I felt when I would see the car. I mean, I would literally duck down yeah, and just pray that he would go away. I was scared. My counselor did tell me that as far as my safety goes, he thinks that I did the exact correct thing for me in that situation. He'd be to not really confront him about it because I don't know. It, you couldn't know what could have happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So he my that's what my counselor was saying, that I shouldn't beat myself up for not saying you raped me because that could have potentially put me in a lot of danger. It absolutely would have escalated the situation, and you don't know how it would have gone. Right. It, it could have backfired on you immensely. You know, the only thing you could hope for is the police showing up in time at that yeah. point. That's the gamble. And I don't blame you for not playing. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I, uh, my sister had a lot of stalkers. Like, it just seemed that every single boyfriend she had turned into a stalker after the breakup. And Wow. And they would just call incessantly, show up at the door or whatever. And I saw her just get broken down over and over again and I would confront them because well I'm a guy and I can scare another guy if I try hard enough (laughs) right Uh, I'm not a scary guy but my bark is pretty bad and uh, I don't blame my sister for not confronting some of these guys and not trying to dictate to them you're you're unwelcome in my life because it would just it would just trigger an attack or something worse and I wish she would have called the police and filed more reports. She actually did get one of them put in jail for oh, a few, wow, good. for a few months um, for calling incessantly. Wow. Just, well, good for her. Yeah, just simply phone calls. And she 
I guess she did the restraining order, so therefore they're not allowed to call or have any contact. And then she turned over her phone records. And this is before cell phones. So this is the home phone that I have to hear ring every day. (laughs) Right, yeah. And um, guy went to jail. And when he got out, he was even more pissed off. Really? Yeah. It seems people who do this, it's like they're on some weird emotional... I, I don't know. It's like they're always on a tipping point. And if you push them a little bit, it can get so dangerous can unless you have a plan of some sort of you tell the cops hey come over to my house in 15 minutes and then you know but nobody's doing that and because the victim is always the good person that's not trying to have the attacker ambushed and thrown in prison or anything you're you're always the the one that's just trying to keep to yourself and not have anything to do with it yeah i mean that's yeah my opinion but you know i I share that opinion (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> I'm it's it's terrible and I'm I'm glad it just apparently fizzled out but it seems that way yeah I wouldn't be surprised if I got something one of these days do you have all the records of the text messages and everything still I do have them on my phone yeah okay you should take screenshots of them and email them to yourself something to that effect so you always have a record of it yeah, you're right. That is smart. And I don't even know why I haven't done that, but I will. Just ridiculous worst case scenario. You watch CSI. If anything were to ever happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, have I have lead. told people like if I disappear, it's definitely this. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And I hope you gave these people his name and address and his make and model of his car and everything. Anything. I, they have it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> He obviously doesn't think that he did anything wrong, which makes it for me like more sickening. Mm-hmm. He's um like a pro athlete, not like a huge famous one or anything, but he is, I guess, a pretty distinguished tennis player. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty well known around this area, but he's not trying to hide at all. Like he obviously doesn't think that what he's done is wrong because... I guess when you think of a stalker or something, you think of somebody who is, you know, sneaky or... No, most of these guys do it right and out in the open, blatantly. Right. It's just, like, so cocky. and I mean, it just makes it worse. Not worse, but I had an idea of how this kind of thing would happen, and I never thought it would happen to me. And then it did, and it was so different from how I had envisioned it in my mind that it just I have no idea what to do you're watching too much CSI (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) yeah in some of the text messages I did send him one you know pretty much cursing him out saying like you were disgusting I hate you I hate you so much that I wish that I could kill you that's not it verbatim but and all he said was oh look you're like my little bad girl oh you can't argue with a sociopath. No, no, you can't. You can't make them understand how much you despise them. No. And, and that is, a, a, like, just so creepy. Any attention is good attention to them. Even if it's total negative attention, it's you are responding to them, and that's all they want. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's... <laughs> But I feel like people have to know. There, sometimes I just wish like I could just 
there are times when I'm tempted just to say, like, hey, so this happened to me, and it was this person. And these things happen to people in real life, not just on TV. And But I, I'm just so afraid. Exactly. I'm sure you do worry that he will do some, something to some other girl. And why not try to give them a warning? But at the same time, yeah. how do you warn them? I guess you could just put up a billboard in, in his neighborhood and says, this man's a rapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying to joke or make, you know, I'm just. I, I, no, I don't I, mind. I really don't. Because, I mean, I laugh about it because it's just so absurd. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of a morbid person, I guess, but I mean, at least I do laugh about it because what else can I do? Yeah. I don't know if it will make you feel better or not, but um, I went to a bar to meet a girl and it was supposed to be a date and she didn't show up. There's a group of uh, ladies sitting at the table that I actually went to high school with and um, I ended up going back to one of their apartments and all three of them were there and, and we continued to drink passed out drunk and I just passed out on the couch and and I woke up in the middle of the night and one of them was on top of me wow and I felt like such an idiot because I put myself in this bad situation I mean I'm totally victim blaming myself yeah it's like a, it's a weird thing like to yeah. victim blame I don't do it to anybody else besides myself yeah there I was and I didn't report it I didn't tell anybody. It's like, oh, you're out with three girls drinking and you're having a great time. What, what's the problem? And it's like, well, because I well, just, didn't not, want it. Yeah, it wasn't welcome. And that wasn't what I wanted that night. And I don't really feel like I'm scarred or fucked up from it or anything. It just, I just was like, yeah, that was uh, a dark time. And yeah, and I'm, I'm over it now and I can talk about it openly, but it's it's something that happened and I didn't I didn't agree with it and uh, I don't stalk her or anything but I've seen this girl's profile on on Facebook and she's married with kids now. Mm. I'm sure she's not a serial rapist, but at the same time, that night she did something really bad and I, right. I'm not going to go after her for it. But well, know. and that's a whole you can make a whole other episode about this, honestly. It's very confusing, like, it's, on one hand, it's so easy to be like, this person's a rapist, they deserve to die, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's extreme, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I feel like there are people who you could consider to actually be pretty decent human beings who could do this. And it's because maybe they just, in some way, there's a disconnect there, or they feel wrong wrongly entitled or something but like it's just an odd thing like there are people who in all other areas are probably like a pretty nice person and then these things happen and i'm not saying that the guy who did this to me i mean i think he's a total tool again like he's just a dick but it's a complicated thing it's a really weird crime and there's so many different like facets to it and you actually consider the attacker's motivations. You consider their inconveniences. You consider them in the crime. Right. When you shouldn't. Yeah. And you think like, well, what did I do to make them think that this is okay? Even if there was nothing that you did. Yeah. It's confusing. And I. 
it is confusing. And you think of like campus rape and stuff. You just know that there are people who have done that, who will go on, who have like completely normal lives, maybe don't even hurt anybody else again. I just don't think it's understood as as a crime enough. I don't think it's I, I just think that there's a lot of education to be had. Absolutely. And definitely not not all, but I think there are some people who do these kind of things and they don't realize the severity to which they could be hurting somebody or are hurting somebody. They just don't view it as a big deal. No. One time on Facebook, I, I saw somebody saying, like a thread and, and one of the comments on it was, well, I just don't get it. Rape is literally just a guy putting a dick in a vagina. Get over it. It's a violation beyond all violations. I mean, it's just, it, it cannot be expressed. No. Uh, and until you experience it or can speak to someone who can maybe make you understand, maybe it is hard to get just how emotionally impactful this 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 can be. But when your will is stripped away from you and you're turned into an object and you're not being respected, you're you're saying no or whatever and somebody just it's just it's just hard to explain. And I, I think it's really hard to understand for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. Didn't even realize the severity of your situation, but it's, it's good to talk about it and let people hear it because I know there's a hundred other women out there that had your exact same situation and think that it was their fault. Think that it was it just happened to them and no one else has gone through it or whatever. And it is a lot more commonplace. And I would stress to those girls because, I mean, no one has said this to me, but I'm just trying to like come to terms with it. I feel really disgusted by worrying about him. Not that I care about him, but also, you know, being afraid of like ruining his life. And, and I can't even explain why. I would just stress to any woman who's gone through this. Because you're a good person. You don't beat yourself up for being a good person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make what happened to you any less traumatic yeah. or serious. That element of that consideration of them worrying about them and ruining their life. It's just, it's the weird element to it that nobody will understand unless you've been there. Right. I don't think I've verbalized that before. And I know for a fact I've never said that to my boyfriend because I think that would maybe hurt him. I think if I tried to say that I was concerned about this person's well-being in any way, I feel like that would hurt him in, in a, what am I trying to say? Do you know what I mean? It's You would be telling him that you cared about somebody that did something terrible to you. So it's almost... Which I don't. Yeah, you know, it, I don't care about this person. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not a jealousy thing, but it would it would be very confusing for him to understand that. Yeah. I mean, he's been very, very supportive. Um, I mean, it's been it's so difficult for everyone involved, I guess, would be the right word. But, yeah, it's just a really confusing thing. Well, I'm glad you verbalized it because I never had verbalized it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried. I can't say I'm the most eloquent of people, but thank you. <laughs> well, I I thought about it a million times, but I just never had said it out loud. And yeah, because there's something so shameful about it, which it yeah, it's mm-hmm. because it's so confusing, I guess. Yeah. So there it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. 
Uh, well, I don't want to keep you all night, but thank you so much for. Oh my gosh, thank you! I'm such a fan. Yeah. <laughs> a quick update for Molly: she actually did run into her attacker since this episode, and luckily he did not see her and she was able to avoid him and come out without incident. This next story is Kelly and she tells us about being stalked by a man. I ask her if this is the only situation she's ever had and she again tells another story about a sexual assault, a rape that she experienced. So two stories from Kelly. I haven't told this story or any, like talked about this in a really long time. So uh, like just thinking about it, I'm like shaking. I'm sorry. And it's okay. Um, But yeah, like I didn't realize, I guess, what it did to me to like actually think about it. When I tried to have my sister tell me her story, she she started to tell me and then she said, no, I can't do this. So I totally understand. (laughs) It's not. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was talking to someone about it the other day and I said, I have to do something because it was hard enough when I was dealing with it and I'd rather someone else hear it and know that they're not alone and it still sucks, but whatever, it's worth it. So do you want to use the guy's name? Um, no. Okay. Because he's a piece of shit and he doesn't deserve to be glorified. <laughs> no, the problem. <laughs> Tell me when it started, how you knew him, and then we'll kind of just work our way through it. Okay. This started around, I want to say it was 2006. I had just moved to LA not that long before. And I was part of a great group of girls. I had started an alt porn site and it provided us a lot of opportunities to hang out with our fans and to meet people. We threw parties constantly, which was awesome. You know, we got to hang out with, with other girls that were like us, other tattooed girls, um, people who like the same kind of music. And in turn, obviously that brought a lot of young tattooed guys, cool people. It was party scene, Hollywood. And uh, I was young and just stoked to be in that kind of atmosphere with those kind of people. And, uh, I was there. I'm surprised we didn't. (laughs) You were there. (laughs) And, you know, I'd moved from New York city and I thought I was pretty savvy. So I wasn't too concerned with, you know, getting too close to these fans. It was the age of MySpace, So it was like, everyone kind of thought they knew everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, it's part of how I got the Jane in my name was because everyone thought they knew me. And I was like, you don't, you just know, you know, the general surface of me, but that's cool. You know, I'm naked on the internet. I'd prefer you only know the surface of me sometimes. (laughs) But this one dude, he started showing up with a group of friends and he of course provided the weed. So we were like, yeah, come join our circle of buddies. That's great. A guy's just going to give us all the free weed. You know, we thought he was chill. We thought he was normal. And we we kind of just invited him into our fold of, like, people who were fans that became friends-ish. You know, you, yeah. you don't really call your weed dealer or whatever your best friend necessarily. But <laughs> still, we thought he was okay. And so I guess over time, we did kind of, you know, we would hang out a little bit here and there um, in groups of people. Usually he'd come to all of our parties 
Then he started showing up at places that weren't really public events or that he wasn't invited to. And he would just kind of be there and then insert himself again into our group. And it didn't really bother us. We were like, whatever. Still, he's, you know, he's hooking it up. He's not being really weird. He's not trying to hit on any of us. Yeah. He, if he's, he should have been a red flag. Yeah. I was going to say, if, you, if there's no red flags there, then you wouldn't suspect or be put off if he shows up uninvited. There were plenty of other dudes that were making it clear that they were creepy. So he just seemed so innocuous and he was quiet and just, I don't know, he was, he just seemed normal. And he ended up moving in with a friend of mine. They both needed a place to stay. Um, And that was kind of when things started to get a little weirder. Mm-hmm. He started adding pictures to his MySpace where I would be photoshopped into them in kind of weird positions or like some pictures from the websites where I wasn't clothed would be photoshopped into his pictures. And he's posting these and I had a boyfriend at the time and, you know, he's asking me questions about it. And I'm like, I promise you it's nothing. I'll talk to him. He's probably just geeking out and being a fanboy and just wants to be part of stuff. Don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Thank Tried you. to have conversations well, with well, him. Well, right there. Hold on. You, you, yeah. you want to make excuses for somebody. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like we yeah. never. Yeah. And I, I think that's very honorable of you but at the same time what he was doing was pretty weird (laughs) yeah I was I guess super naive and again it was kind of in this world where people did weird stuff to show their affection and I was kind of used to it I was used to like fan art stuff and and maybe that was why it didn't seem so weird and someone else would have been like okay you need to cut this out Mm -hmm. but to me it was kind of I don't know it was just minorly weird So I confronted him about it and, you know, he told me he would stop. He was just having fun, not to take it so seriously. And so, you know, I kind of just let it pass. Then he just started to act strangely around my friends and around me, again, still showing up to random events that that weren't publicized, that weren't things that he should be going to. He would cling to us. And one time we went back to a friend's house and he had cornered me you know, we'd maybe each had a beer and he told me if I left that he was going to call the police and let them know that I'd been drinking and driving and give them, you know, my license plate number and basically report me to try to get me pulled over. And, you know, knowing me, I was probably just worried about the absolute worst. Like if I get pulled over for anything, that's just terrifying because I'm, you know, just young and, in a city that's not my own. And so this became something that he would do kind of frequently to get me cornered or to get me to stay wherever I was, that he would threaten me and tell me either that he was going to call the police and report me for drunk driving or having drugs in my car. He would tell me he would plant things in my car. So this went from someone I I wouldn't be scared of having in my car to someone that I didn't want anywhere near me and to someone who I was actually becoming frightened of. And no longer wanted him to show up and no longer wanted him to be a part of my life or a part of my friends' lives. And at that point, I kind of got my girlfriends together and said, you need to stop inviting him places. You need to stop living with him to my my friend, Kate, who was living with him. And I was just like, you need to get him out of our lives because there's something wrong with him. So the red flag is flying high. Yeah, it is flying, (laughs) full on flying. 
The next time I showed up at my friend Kate's house, I had been told that he had moved out. Somehow while I was there, he showed up. And this was kind of my last straw. This was the first time I had to call the police on him. He ended up chasing me into the garage of her apartment building, which was kind of in the heart of Hollywood. And he had cornered me in the garage with a knife and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and no one can hear me because it's Hollywood and I'm inside a garage. And even though it's like, you know, facing, I think it was poinsettia, like the open side of the garage and there are cars on the street and people on the street and I can't get out of the garage because there's this crazy person with a knife between me and the exit. And this was, you know, I'm standing there, I'm, i I don't know how long it took me to call 911 and I'm just screaming, still screaming at the top of my lungs, trying to get someone or the cops to hear me. There's a, you know, this guy has a knife. I gave them his name. I gave them a description while he's still standing there in front of me. So you're and screaming and calling 911 doesn't even stop him. From- it didn't stop him. It took the cops actually arriving and having lights outside of the garage for him to start running in any direction that wasn't my direction. And I was just in the corner of the garage until the cops came and, and picked me up. And that was the first time I dealt with the police in, you know, in this situation and actually realized that this was serious and that this could escalate to, you know, something I didn't even think was possible. I, you know, I thought it was like childish what he was doing at first, but this was serious. Yeah. Chasing you around while you're screaming. I I would say that's very serious, (laughs) especially with a knife. I mean, yeah. Um, he had started, I I should go back a step. When he had been living with my friend Kate, he had stopped taking uh, prescription pain medication that he had been on for a really long time since a car accident. And during this time, that was, like I said, when he kind of started getting weird. And I don't know if it was getting off the pain pills or maybe there was just some underlying, you know, mental situation, but that's when it started coming out. And he would make weird comments that, again, we kind of just thought were he was just a liar. He just likes telling stories. Things mm-hmm. about him being in the CIA or his dad being in the CIA. Like, just shit that you're like, this is so BS. It's just, it's ridiculous. I can't even, I'm not even going to take you seriously. Were all of his advances towards you or did he do it to any of the other He did friends? do it. He did it to um, another one of my friends who kind of, looked pretty similar to me. I won't mention her name, but he, Kate as well, Kate almost went through the full restraining order process with me, although I'll get into a little later why she didn't. I, I, I wasn't the only one. However, I ended up being the one that... The main focus. Yeah. The, I was the one that was put in the dangerous positions. How, how did the uh, police respond to you when they came to the parking lot? Were they helpful or... They were, oh, they were extremely helpful. I have to say through the entire period, I ended up actually dealing with a lot of the same police because it was usually in the same areas and it was Hollywood police that were responding and they were, oh my God, they helped calm me down. They helped get me to a safe place. They helped make sure that I knew the next steps or what I could do and they helped me make reports so that when it came time for my restraining order and stuff that I had documentation of everything. Because I was in far too much shock to be able to put any of that together myself. 
I, and at the age I was, you know, I was 21, barely, maybe 20. I just, I don't think I would have been able to do that without their help. When they had, I guess, helped me in that situation, they'd given me, you know, paperwork. They'd held him until his father had come to pick him up. They wouldn't let him leave on his own. Um, and I was still terrified. And obviously, I still had the process of the restraining order ahead of me, which also at that age, and I was, you know, I'm an adult model. I'm living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I go to the court to start the restraining order process and I find out how much it's going to cost me. And I'm like, are you crazy? I can't afford this. Is it like $2,000 ish? Yeah, it's crazy. And then on top of that, if you want the sheriff to serve them, it's like another $250. And if you want like a certain amount of your documents sealed, it's more money. And so luckily I you know, I broke down crying in the courthouse and they helped me and they told me that there were papers I could fill out um, to get exemptions for the the price and the cost of the, you know, all the paperwork and stuff like financial exclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to fill out. I mean, I spent, oh, my God, so much time at this courthouse filling out stacks of paperwork between the actual restraining order paperwork and then also the financial exemptions. Because otherwise, I just wouldn't have been able to afford it at the time. There's no way. And I'm sure a lot of women just give up at that point. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And to at the end of the day, the reason Kate ended up not going through with it is because she had to miss so much work to come to the courthouse to fill out the paperwork. And she just she couldn't do it. She's like, I need to keep making I'm going to get fired from my job on top of all this craziness. Now she's paying her rent herself because she had to kick out this crazy person. So, yeah, she basically kind of, I I don't want to say abandoned me in the process, but I, at first I was a lot more confident because I had a friend with me who had gone through and she had been there. She had seen, you know, all these things happen. And I was really worried, I guess, about how I would deal with it alone until the next situation happened, which, so anyone out there who has dealt with or knows nothing about restraining orders, there's a temporary restraining order that you can be granted if the court or the judge feels like you are in need of it, that you have sufficient evidence to prove that at least in the beginning that you can do something and you have X amount of time to serve the person. And then you set a court date and you go to court and hopefully get this real restraining order. Um, But during the temporary restraining order time, it's kind of a a clusterfuck. I carried around this temporary restraining order almost until its expiration because it was impossible for me to get this person served. His dad hid him from a process server. His like friends would be like, no, he's not here um, when he was. Cover for him. And yeah. So partway through this process of trying to get this restraining order, or sorry, I should... (laughs) Go back one more step right before the TRO. And I guess it was right after the knife, the first knife incident. And this was when he was fully moved out of Kate's apartment. He had broken in uh, while I was there with Kate. And I want to say it was two other of our friends. He breaks in while we're sitting in the living room. And I immediately go running out the front door, like under his arm, out the front door so fast, like lightning. Because at this point, I know what can happen. Did he just kick in the front door? 
Um, apparently he still had some kind of key situation or he had made another copy of his key. I don't really know, but okay. he, he had had his key taken away that Kate had given him. So we don't know what it was that he had used, but I ran out the door. I ran straight to the street. I didn't even have my phone on me. Luckily, Hollywood at the time, I was friends with a lot of people and who lived right in that area. And I happened to run right out onto the street and saw a friend's car coming by. And I just, you know, jumped out in front of it, waving my arms, told them to stop. I jumped in their car. I called 911 again. The same cops almost. Uh, I remember one in particular was the same uh, police officer. And he was, again, wonderful to me. But all of them were. They uh, showed up. It turns out that he had started going through the apartment building after I had run out and knocking on people's doors with a knife. And he had his dog with him. The next thing I knew, I was still out in front of the building because I wanted to make sure that Kate was okay. And I'm inside my friend's car and I'm still on the phone with 911. They want me to stay on the phone until I see the police come out with him in case I need to make a statement or whatever. And um, they end up coming out with him and they're trying to make him let go of his dog. And it was this little puppy. As they're trying to do this, they're like, I mean, they're slamming him up against the cop car, trying to get him to let go of this dog. And they'd already got him to drop the knife, but he's just laughing at them. And I can remember so vividly like this terrifying, like blood curdling laugh. Like he thought he was better than them. He's like, you know, you can't stop me and I can get away with this. And, and I'm just thinking like, he's never going to stop. It's this, it's like Freddy or Jason or. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks he's just unstoppable. This is a guy who thinks he's in the CIA and believes it. He really thought, you know, this is just funny to him. That night was another night. They made his dad come and and pick him up and, uh, you know, escort him out. But I remember being terrified because I didn't want them to hurt the dog. <laughs> I didn't give a shit about him. I just didn't want them to hurt the dog because it was in his arms and he just wouldn't let it go. And I remember thinking, you don't care. Like you don't care about anyone else. You don't care about this dog. And here you are just laughing and you're, you're so, so fucked up. I guess I go back to my temporary restraining order land where I thought I could be kind of safe, even though I couldn't get him served. And really a temporary restraining order or, or a restraining order. All that really gets you is if he does break it, the cops can show up and arrest him on site. He doesn't have to quote unquote. He doesn't get released. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically all you get. And it's terrifying because you have your, you have to list your address. You have to list all of your places of work. You have to, you know, you have to give up all this information that maybe even they didn't have before. And all of a sudden you feel even more vulnerable because now they can really show up anywhere, even if the paper says they can't. The way that I ended up getting him served was probably like the last way you should ever have to get someone served and the most terrifying. Um, I was driving through Redondo Beach with friends in my car and all of a sudden I hear honking and I look to the side of me and it's him in his car with a girl in the car. Were you with males or females? I was with males. Okay. 
And so I'm kind of trying to be evasive. I'm trying to drive away. I'm, I was trying to drop my friends off at a, at a restaurant. I, you know, I host a car rally. I'm pretty good driver. I'd like to think so. So I'm, I'm trying to be safe, but at the same time, I'm definitely not being safe. I'm, I'm trying to lose him. Eventually I get into the parking lot of this restaurant and I just, I sink down and I'm like trying to decide, do I call 911? I have the restraining order on me. What do I do? Is he going to keep following me? And as I'm thinking these things, there's a tap on my window and it's him. Oh God. I mean, my doors are already locked. I'm sunken down like under my dashboard, basically with my phone in my hand, crying, calling the cops and telling them I have a restraining order or temporary restraining order. I need it to get served. This person just followed me into this parking lot. I'm, this is where my car is. This is where his car is. I was here first. I have witnesses. Um, can you please come here and serve him immediately and, you know, do something about this, like get him away from me. And so they told me to stay and, you know, stay where I was and not do anything and stay under my car, wherever I felt safe, that they would, you know, they'd make me aware that they were there when they got there. So when they arrived, one of them, mind you, my friends had gotten out of the car because they didn't, they were like, we're here. And if you need us, call us, but we don't want to like be here, be here when the cops show up. So the cops showed up. I told them he had gone inside the restaurant with this girl. I gave them my temporary restraining order paperwork which basically all it needs is a signature from him saying that he understands and that he knows he needs to show up to court. They brought it inside. They served him inside the restaurant. And he comes out basically running and screaming, I want to see that bitch. I want to see her. I want to look her in the eyes. She's so fucking scared of me. She can't come out. And they're trying to restrain him and say, listen, sir, you know, you can deal with this in court. Meanwhile, I'm still inside my car still under the dashboard with a cop talking to me from his knees with my door open because I still, I refuse to, I don't want him to see me. And that was thankfully the last time I saw him until court. And the, the guys you were with, they didn't do anything about this. They, they weren't trying to get nope. him. <laughs> they they <laughs> weren't necessarily the best dudes in the world. See, that sucks. I mean, you think you might be safe. You think you might have protection, but... Yeah, no. The, they were not going to be good for protection. The um, inaction of man is yeah. just as bad as... Yeah, I mean, them them going away and being like, we'll be right around the corner if you need us, but you called the cops, so you should be okay. I mean, we were all young, and they were probably high or like stoned or something, and they didn't want to be around the cops. Who knows? But I was too scared to give a shit, really. I didn't care if there was someone there to protect me because I wouldn't have felt safe anyway, especially with the situation where he barged into Kate's apartment. I was there with three other people and I, I was the only one that had the flight instinct that just bailed everyone else. I don't know what ended up happening. I don't want to tell their story because it's just, it's purely hearsay from what Kate told me happened inside and what the cops told me they saw mm -hmm. all of these things. Luckily there were, you know, enough witnesses of his spiral into insanity and everything else that I had compiled all of their statements so that when I went into court, I had sworn statements and documents from all of these people and from the police and anyone who had dealt with him or had 
had seen him or had seen the things he did. In addition to that, I had emails upon emails and text messages upon text messages of him threatening to kill me, telling me where he could hide a gun in his car and all the hidden compartments it had that were perfect for this kind of gun and this kind of gun. And he was someone I knew had at least one gun. So how was I to know if, you know, he was going to show up with it or, or if he was actually going to hide it? Something that I know just because my sister had to deal with a few stalkers in her life was the incessant phone calls and text messages and just all hours of the night nonstop to the point where you'd have to change your number and then somehow they get the new number and it's just never ending. Oh yeah. And this guy, I mean, this was a time when I had just, you know, started my first company. So I was very public about it and I was on a lot of like radio shows and internet shows. He would be calling into every single one and he would try to like prove how well he knew me. And he would sometimes try to say my real name on, on air and it was just like, why is this guy, you know, and the host would look at me like, why is this guy calling? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's just a crazy fan. He's just a crazy fan until it clearly, you know, when you bring a stack of papers to a courtroom that's like bigger than the Bible and it's all his text messages and all of his emails and all of this just craziness and all that CIA stuff kept spouting out. And I'm like, I'm not going to read this all to you, but it's here if you need it. You know, I I pointed out the ones that really scared me, the actual death threats um, when I was in court and court was was the most terrifying thing ever because I didn't have anyone there with me. And you have to face him down. I not only had to face him down, he brought his dad there with him. And his dad's not quite accepting that his son is. His dad is just as nuts as he is. His dad wore a CIA jumpsuit like tracksuit to pick up his son one of the times that the cops made him pick him up. This guy is just as freaking crazy. I know you want to love your children and all, but I I would hope that he's had to pick his son up multiple times now from the police station, bail him out. It's all your fault. I'm assuming in his dad's mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I luckily I, I never spoke to the dad after I had met him a few times when I thought this guy was kind of normal. You know, he never said anything when he would, when he would be around when the cops were there or he never said anything in court. Apparently this guy brought his dad because he said his dad was a witness and his dad would, would be a character witness against me or something like that, which they did not let happen. They did not let his dad testify. They only let me and this guy testify. So when I walked into the court, I sat down, I was there first. There were a bunch of other people for these kinds of things. It's kind of just like, you know, a revolving door of horrible crap that happens to people. And uh, so you're sitting in a group of strangers and I'm shaking and terrified. I'm just, I'm holding my papers and he comes in with his dad and they sit on the same side of the room as me. (sighs) And I just go up to the sheriff and I'm like, can you remove them or move them or do something? I have a fucking restraining order against this guy. He should think that, you know, maybe sitting on the other side of the room is at least the bare minimum of what he could do to not be a total cunt right now. And so the sheriff moved him. I didn't have to say anything to him. I didn't have to look at him. And I sat, you know, in a way that I just didn't have to see him 
until I had to go and, you know, until my case is brought up and I have to go up and make my statement and he has to go up and his, make his statement or whatever. I'm sorry. Wh- yeah. I, I need to jump ahead here. What the hell was his statement? <laughs> his statement was actually pretty great because it was pre-written and it started out with everything she just said is a lie. And it was pre-written. So how did he know what I was going to say? Because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, his statement was that he just basically said over and over, everything that I said was a lie. We were in a romantic relationship. I'm trying to remember what else, what other fabulous things uh, he said. Just- um, he claimed that none of the emails were real, that the text messages were jokes. And that was that was pretty much it. He, he just said like no to everything. And the judge basically laughed at him, which was the greatest moment of the entire experience because the rest was total shit. Because now you've been, uh, you know, you've been justified in your situation and it, it takes his power away when the judge who has the ultimate control can say, Nope. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Especially because of the things that I had to say and some of the vulgar things that I had to read in front of complete strangers. And again, some other people might be like, well, if you're naked on the internet, how bad could it be to say something, you know, vulgar in front of strangers, but when it's about yourself and it's really disturbing and, you know, it's just, you, no one wants to hear that about themselves and to say it in front of people you don't know just makes you incredibly vulnerable and you're kind of reliving the trauma. When the judge stopped him and, uh, you know, just said, I'm sorry, but she is completely justified in wanting this restraining order and needing it. And I absolutely will grant it. And he's looking at her like she's crazy. And I just remember thinking like, oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. And it was a, a female judge. Yeah. And. I mean, I remember it's funny because I remember the sheriff so well that moved him because the sheriff was so big and and muscular. And I was like, he could protect me. If anything crazy happens in court, I'm just going to jump into his arms and it'll all be okay. (laughs) And that was what I pictured the entire time that I was giving my statement. I looked at him. I didn't look at, you know, I looked at him and I looked at the judge. I didn't look at this person because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to give him the gratification of knowing that he was there and that he had put me in this position. So not only do you have to rehash this story to the police officers, every time you call 911, you have to go on the stand and tell it all again in front of a room full of strangers because there's other people in court that day. Yeah. I mean, that's it's, it's humiliating. humiliating. It's 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 traumatizing. But at the same time, you're like, it's worth it if this works. But at the same time, like you were saying before, the restraining order is still just a piece of paper and it's only enforceable when they break it. So it's still not still not the, the cure. You know, unfortunately for me, it really wasn't the cure. But. For three years, which was the length of my restraining order, he, I would say, obeyed it to the best of his ability. Obviously, it doesn't stop him from talking about me. doesn't stop him from telling other people about me. It just stops him from showing up to where I am. 
And every time you move, you have to submit a new address. Every time you change where you work, you have to submit a new address. So it's, it's like you're being treated almost like a sex offender, except you're giving up your information to, to the person that assaulted you, to the person that is stalking you, to the person that, you know, that you're trying to get away from. And see, that's ridiculous that, I mean, I understand they have to inform him. You can't go here. So he knows. But at the same time, why couldn't it just be a anywhere you are, he can't be. And if he sees you, he has to exit the vicinity immediately. Yeah. And it's not like they have to report where they moved to or they have to report where they started working. They could literally move down the street and just be like, oh, well, I just I live here now. I didn't realize that she had changed her address. If you moved out of state, like to Arizona, and then he followed you and moved to the same city you did, like. Yeah, I had this chat when I moved out of state, actually, with my local police department. And I asked if I if I could use my restraining order from another state or if I had to get a new restraining order, you know, in this state. And they said, well, it's kind of a, you know, you could show it when the cops show up and they, you know, they might just straight up arrest them. But at the same time, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting one here because nothing's happened here, but they're going to want one here if you're living here. Again, it's just more, more catch 22s, more paperwork, more confusion and making it more difficult for the person who's trying to be protected or stay protected to get that protection. Or to at least feel like like it'll work when someone shows up or if something does happen. The last thing that happened, again, I the last time I told any of this story was when this last bit happened. Um, and that was several years ago. It had to be like almost five or six years ago. And uh, I, like I said before, was the host of a car rally. So every June go meet up with the friends and go on this awesome like week long adventure across country. And this guy, part of, you know, one of the things that endeared him as, you know, a normal person and a friend was that he was into cars and I was really into cars. So we would talk about cars and little did I know that there was some crossover between the people that I was rallying with and people that he used to go to car events with because I hadn't mentioned him, talked about him, used his name, anything in years. So none of my car people, you know, none of my ralliers knew what the deal was. So we're getting ready for the rally. And on Facebook, one of my friends and one of the rally organizers is like going to see my girl at the airport to take off for, you know, wherever we were going for the first leg of the rally. Can't wait to see her. And in the comments, I see him saying, don't worry, I'll be there to see you guys off. I had, I mean, an instant anxiety attack because this was literally, I mean, by the skin of your teeth, barely three years after. So the restraining order is pretty much useless right now. I immediately called the cops and said, hi, I have this restraining order, it just expired like maybe a few months ago, but this guy just just popped back up into my life, threatening to show up somewhere I am. Can I use this? Because I'm about to leave the state and I need to know that I have something to protect me. Otherwise I can't leave. Like I'm 
I don't want to go to the airport right now. I don't want to do anything because I just don't want him to be there. The cops told me that, yes, that that would be fine. The restraining order, if he showed up, it's not, you know, they'd clearly see, okay, he waited and then he, he jumped at his opportunity. I ended up having numerous large male friends of mine escort me to the airport, through the airport, to security, got me TSA buddy to like take me to my gate and give me to my friend Amy so that I would be, you know, at least feel safe and feel protected. And they were amazing. And luckily, I if he was there, I didn't see him. And if he decided not to show up, because that would be a terrible idea, then awesome. Luckily, after that, I had everyone that I did know. I was like, hey, guys, I know I've never told you this before, but can you all delete this guy from your social media? I didn't know you knew him, but he's freaking crazy. And my restraining order just ran out. So I'd rather him not stalk your timelines and see what I'm doing you know, I've been able to keep him away from my social media and everything else for years. So because you can block him. But when somebody else refers yeah, to you, tags when someone you, else is, yeah. you know, is friends with them and they post a picture of you on their timeline or whatever, that's just the same. They can still see it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to give him any anything. Luckily, that was the last time I heard from him. And as you can tell by the sound of my voice, I would still be terrified if I saw him today. Do you follow or quote unquote stalk him on social media to see? Hell no. Okay, good. No, I have no interest in that. I understand how some people might want to keep tabs on the person that kept tabs on them. But I want nothing to do with him. Hmm. When, When he made his statement... And again, when I had to read some of the things that he said, I would never want to get in his head in any way. And reading what people say on social media or I'm not going to all of a sudden feel any empathy towards the situation. And I'm sorry, even if he does have a mental health disorder, then he needs help. And that's fine. I told him that, you know, in the beginning of all this, I thought he needed some some mental help. You know, you're not willing to get that help or you think you're too good for that or you don't think there's something wrong with you. Maybe that's how this entire situation started and it would have been stopped if if something else had been done. But and again, there's nothing wrong with people who need, you know, medication or there is something wrong with this person and someone who thinks that everything he did was okay and all of those things are okay and that he thought he could still call me after cornering me in a garage with a knife. Most people would take a step back and either reassess and, and you know, I've heard other stories where something similar happens and then the guy comes back, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. He never did that. Just got more intense and crazier with the things that he would say and the threats that he would make. You know, his dad could have taken that opportunity to say, okay, we need to get you some help because you're getting arrested every other week or you're in court right now and you've got a restraining order against you. It's probably not a good sign. But I don't know what happened to him after. And and I really don't care. And it doesn't matter what your profession is. I know most most of the females I know have had a stalker situation, whether they waitress at a restaurant or are a doctor at a doctor's office. They've all had a guy sort of latch onto them and in a weird way and 
but was this really the only time you've had like a, a serious soccer situation? Have you had any other minor situations or anything? Um, well, I had one other that wasn't necessarily minor, but it's really unfortunate to say that I never went to the police because many uh, victims of sexual assault, it's a game of he said, she said, or there's not enough evidence, or or you just don't want to be in the same room as the person ever again. And um, so there was someone that I had gone to elementary school with. You know, he moved out of town, out of state, whatever. His parents had lived down the street from me, but I think maybe he went to boarding school or something. Um, and I had graduated high school early, moved out of my parents' town, and, um, you know, I started naked modeling, whatever you want to call it, um, when I was 18. And everyone that I had gone to school with had found out, everyone from the town had found out, and so on. And this was someone who found out as well. He had started to hit me up and I was like, well, you're random, but you're normal. And he didn't hit me up about the, you know, about my job or anything. So I just thought, oh, he like moved back into town and he, he wants to hang out. And I didn't think anything of, of it because, you know, we had lived so close as kids and I was like, whatever, I knew you, we can be friends again. Why not? Um, and so this is kind of one of those stories that you don't find out until later what was going on. This ended up happening on St. Patrick's Day. I basically had walked over to his parents' house. His parents were away. He was having a party. At this party, I was drugged. I was sexually assaulted. I left the house in the middle of the night partially clothed and ran home to my parents' house. I, my parents are amazing and they're wonderful and I did end up telling them, but it took me a while because I just couldn't believe what had happened with someone that I thought was, again, safe or someone that I kind of knew. I had a friend who was friends with this person and they had sent me an email or something or a text message three or four months later when I was back in LA and they said, Hey, you know, this guy is in town. He wants to hang out. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This guy raped me. Why would I hang out with him? And of course, instantly my friend was like, no fucking way. What, what like calls me, what happened? Tell me what happened because apparently he had been being told a completely different story from this guy. Of course. What, about... guy, what guy would say, oh, yeah, I gave her drugs and yeah. Yeah. So he had been basically told this you know, fabulous story about how for years we had been talking and we had been getting to know each other from far away and reconnecting and how, you know, He's like, look at all these pictures. And luckily, these weren't pictures he had photoshopped with me. They were just like personal pictures of me that he pulled from different sites, but claimed that he had taken, you know, that we had been getting together and all of this stuff. And which, of course, none of it was true. I had literally we had talked, you know, a little bit through whatever, like MySpace or something. And then we had hung out once and then at this party. And that was it. 
So either so, lies or delusion. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah, I don't I don't know which it was, but he he came at me after and said he's like, "Well, look at what you do. Of course you were down." Mm-hmm. Look at what I do. Of course I was down for what? You drugged me and raped me. There's no there's no in between. There's no like I was very steadfast about this. You're lucky I don't like I didn't go to the fucking cops. Yeah. Just leave me the fuck alone and stay out of my life. To which point he then proceeded to do what all boys apparently from my town like to do back in the day, which was write these, you know, password protected websites saying horrible very sexual, very perverted things about people on the internet and then giving the passwords out to their friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in this, he basically repeated all of the lies he had told in addition to recounting what had happened when he had assaulted me. That was the only thing I was able to get removed from the internet. Mm -hmm. And that was the extent of my legal battle. Because again, I... This I found out about. This I don't have to stand for. And I can get him in trouble for this. It's still easier than getting him in trouble for what he actually did. We, we all know that it, doing a, a, a rape allegation and getting somebody charged with it, you, you as the victim have to go through so much and relive it and get someone to actually believe you. And if you don't do it immediately, which I didn't, there's... There's no evidence to be collected. There's no, and I, you know, I didn't think about it. You don't think about those things. People ask you later, why didn't you just go to the cops or why didn't you just go to the hospital or why didn't you just tell your parents? There's so many, there's so many reasons. You're, you've just been attacked. You, I mean, and drugged. So it's, you're not thinking correctly. You're not in a state of mind where you think, okay, let's gather up the evidence so I have a solid case. That's not on the forefront of anyone's mind. Exactly. And unless you have someone there who sees who sees the state you're in and who knows that that's an altered state or knows that something's wrong. And, you know, it was the middle of the night when I ran home. I didn't want to wake my parents up. I didn't you know, those are the things that I was thinking. I didn't want to get in trouble or I I definitely wasn't thinking about me. I hate the fact that I didn't do anything. I hate the fact that I didn't go to the cops and that I didn't press charges. But I don't know that I, if I could have gone through that process to, yeah, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. And to see him, I don't want to see him again. Why would I want to see him in court and have to relive that in court? And even if he, you know, even if he did admit to anything, what is it worth? And it, is he just going to say it was just sex at a party? Is he just, you know, going to try to brush it off? Like, oh, she just drank too much. No, I, I, this was not drinking. This was drugs that I did not take, um, you know, at least consensually. To anyone listening, it, it's a, it's a no brainer. Like you were taken advantage of, you were attacked, you were sexually assaulted, but proving that in the court of law is a whole other situation and, it's it's terrible. I mean, I, I I don't want people to go around making false accusations, but at the same time, for people that were actually attacked, it's still, you know, uphill battle. And Yeah, I'm I mean, I I think any woman 
that has the courage to go to court to actually confront their their attacker they're just they're amazing and even if they don't you know necessarily win their case or get the outcome they want they they deserve all the credit for at least trying and for at least speaking out for the people who don't have the opportunity or who are too afraid or who just missed their opportunity like I did. And, you know, however long later there was a time when I thought I was going to get all high and mighty and be like, well, I need to tell someone, I need to tell a lawyer, or I need to tell, you know, someone other than my mom. I kept saying to myself, who's going to listen to me? It happened over a year ago. No one's going to care. No one's, you know... I don't celebrate, I mean, not that I'm like, I mean, my grandma's Irish, but not that I celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but I really don't sell, like, I, I think it's a horrible opportunity for people to get drunk and people to get taken advantage of. And yeah. I, you know, I kind of spend my every St. Patrick's Day giving people out there a warning and telling them to be careful and watch their drinks and not party too hard. And a night where I went out to a bar and I was supposed to meet a girl for a date there and she stood me up and I was sitting at the bar by myself and uh, I saw a group of other girls that I went to high school with hanging out and I was like, I'm going to go hang out with them because, you know, stood up and kind of feeling down and I proceeded to get just wasted drunk with these three girls and they say, let's go back to our apartment. And I go back and then they pull out a fifth of vodka. I'm already drunk. Then I proceed to drink, uh, you know, a fifth, and I woke up to one of them on top of me, and Shit. I stood up and I said, "I need to leave." She said, "You're too drunk to drive." Yeah, I was, but again, but you need to get out of there. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to call the police and tell them you're drunk if you know if you leave. And yep, I just left. Because I'm a man and I am a little bit stronger than most, I can get up and I can leave the situation. And I did. And I got in my car and I ended up just driving to the other end of the parking lot. It was like a big apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And then just sleeping in my car for the rest of the night. I actually didn't drive home because I really wasn't in any condition. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I never, you know, I didn't report it. I just. Because you would have had equal problems as well or equal and opposite problems because you're a male. And they would say, how could she take advantage of you? How much did you have to drink? (laughs) Yeah. And but there's you don't deserve to be blamed because you were drinking. You you could drink as much as you want, be as drunk as a skunk and you can't be to blame. It's not you. It's them. They're the ones who are committing a crime. That's what people don't understand. Consent is consent is consent. If it's anything but yes, it's no. A lack if of there consent, is nothing, yeah. it's no. I just didn't feel like I should go report this for whatever reason. I felt ashamed. I felt like I got myself into that situation. I, you know, you blame everybody. You blame yourself. You, you have just this whole roller coaster of emotion. At the time, and these are people you had known previously. I went to high school with them. Yeah, I wasn't exactly best friends with them, but they were acquaintances, same circle of friends. And I never talked to her again. Uh, didn't accept her Facebook request for friends. <laughs> oh wow! 
yeah, if this guy had the audacity ever to try to pull that shit, I would be like, I'm just going to call your parents now and tell them what you did. Yeah. Then maybe at least you'll feel embarrassed enough, like every time you go home, that you'll feel a little bit of what I feel. When I drive down or, you know, walk the area that I ran that night, that's a vivid memory in, in my mind that I will never lose. It's just appalling to me that these people don't even understand their actions. They will never accept what they have done. And yeah. And I don't know if they're, if they're like the blaming on whether it's blaming on the alcohol or blaming it on my job or blaming is, I don't know if they believe it or not. I really can't, I couldn't tell in my situation. I don't know about yours, but I, I, I don't know if that's them trying to make themselves feel better about what they did or brush off what they did or if they actually believe in their heads that what they were doing wasn't, you know, wasn't totally wrong. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was dating as a teenager and into my 20s, going out and getting into, a, you know, a sexual situation with a female, literally being like just about to have sex and them saying, you know what? I'm not into this. And I'm like, okay. And it's done. There's no question. Like I think normal guys, it's just like, okay, you know, you could literally be in the act of, and if one of you says, I'm not into this now and I want it to stop, you have to stop. And I think rational people have that ability, but I just don't. I hope so. <laughs> I, I really hope so. Uh, There's a, there's a little, I want to say it's like a little animated video or something and it's British and it's about consent being like a cup of tea. Yeah. Have you seen this? Yes. It's excellent. It is excellent. I think everyone should watch something like that where it's not just them being told no means no, but actually like understanding. Even when you start drinking a cup of tea, if you decide you don't like it, you can put it down and say, I don't want tea anymore. Yeah. And it's the same thing with sex. Good times. <laughs> Good times. All right. Well, I, I hate to cut you off, but I have another uh, interview I got to do here. Soon. Not at all. And thank you for sharing your story, too. No problem. That's and... terrible that that happened to you. But, you know, it happens to guys also. Well, thank you again, Justin. No problem. You have a good one. You too. There is a peripheral podcast discussion group on Facebook. Uh, please understand that most of the guests on my show are listeners just like you. So be respectful when commenting in the group.